from the Auto Line Studios. Here is your host, John McElroy. I want to thank you all for joining us on AutoLine this week, where we're going to be taking a look at the global automotive market. We talk a lot on the show about what's happening in North America. Today, we're going to go out and look all around the world at various different regions. And I've invited three guests to join me for this discussion, including Joe Vitale, the global automotive practice leader for Deloitte, John Susanis, the managing director for Awards Auto, and Mark Wakefield, the Managing Director of Alex Partners. I want to thank you all for joining me today. Thank you. Thanks. Right. John Susanis, let's start with you. How big is the overall market globally? I mean, how many trucks and cars and buses and everything do all the different car companies of the world put together? Well, if you're looking at light vehicles, cars, and light trucks, we're looking at about 88 million vehicles this year, um, 2015 full year. So it's, it's big. It's a, it's a high and uh, we think it's gonna keep growing, so. So just to put that in perspective for the audience, sure. 17 million plus in the U.S., That's 88 right. million globally. That's right. Mark, do you think it is mm-hmm. going to continue to grow? Uh, absolutely, it'll continue to grow. I mean, population growth and economic growth drives that. What we won't see is as lopsided a growth. In the last 10 years, China accounted for almost all of the net growth. And in the future, we don't expect to see quite so lopsided a growth. So you think it'll slow down a little bit? Uh, yeah, slow down the, the growth rate in China, but picks up some in some other places. Yeah. Joe, what about this whole concept of car sharing and ride sharing? We know millennials are not as interested mm-hmm. in owning cars. People in mega cities, and as we're talking about the world, boy, there's yep. a lot of mega cities out there. It's not very convenient to own an automobile. What do you think is going to happen with overall yeah, growth? Excellent question. Um, I've been doing a study with Deloitte for the past seven years on what millennials' preferences are for automobiles. And when you start looking at the trends um, and you start comparing that to other generations, this generation, although there's still a big portion that love cars, this generation is all about convenience and cost. And when you look at other alternative transportation models and and you ask this question of, will you be interested in anything other than a personal uh, uh, automobile, what you find is that even in, even in uh, mature markets as well as immature markets, more than 50% of them want other forms of transportation over personal usage. So automobiles on demand, sharing of vehicles, and other forms that will allow much more convenience in their life. So the overall market will continue to grow, but maybe we're going to hit a peak at some point. I, I think so. I mean, I think you know, the population all over the world, as, as Mark said, is growing. Uh, the need and demand for vehicles uh, will, will still be there. But I think that this whole dynamic around you know, other mobility service, the Uberization uh, of, of, the, of the economy, and you know, everyone knows what Uber is, um, you know, I think that will have an interesting dynamic. Then throw on top of that autonomous vehicles, and then the game really changes. Yeah, no kidding. I, I always like to t- take millennial um, attitudes with a little bit of a grain of salt. I think about, you know, if you had surveyed the baby boomers in the 60s about their feelings about corporate America or even, you know, ownership of vehicles, that you would not have projected out a future for the U.S. that, that we have today. And, and I think there's some truth to that with the way the millennials um, project when they're, they're surveyed. Uh, and I think we've even seen a little bit of that already when they were young, unemployed, um, just five years ago and in the middle of a recession or six years ago, you know, they, they said they didn't want cars. Well, now they have jobs. They're trying to get to cars. And I think when they get families, especially I'm talking North America, when they get to the point where they have families and two kids, 
you know, does Uber really, you know, get your kids to the soccer practice on time? Maybe. Maybe, but I don't know that you know we can project from there always. I think that that has certainly an overall dynamic. When people from that big cohort do start to have kids, they'll start to to have more vehicle needs. But a couple things that I found troubling was from 2010 to 2012, there was a lower propensity for that bottom 18 to 24 age group to have a driver's license. Mm-hmm. Now the economy in the U.S. invariably improved. More people got jobs, right. and yet less people got a license um, to drive. I find that a bit troubling. And then in, in our study on car sharing that we've done in a couple of years now, we found a really high correlation between car sharing attractiveness and how developed the other modes of transportation are, like public transit mm-hmm. and that sort of thing. And you'd think they would actually compete with each other or fill in, but no, they actually work together, whereas car ownership works in the opposite. The more public transportation you've got developed, the least car ownership. And those two things strike me as differences that, that aren't explained just because of an economy improving. Well, that's worth a whole other show of discussion, too. That, <laughs> that's a fascinating part of it. Let's start yeah. d- jumping into different regions of the, the world. Uh, Mark brought it up, but uh, John Susanis, why don't we have you start off talking about China. Yeah. We've seen a slowdown in China. Yeah. I hear all kinds of hair on fire stories, production being cut, uh, you know, delaying models, dealers especially in financial trouble. Is this just a blip in the road or, or is this a real issue? I think the issues are real, but I think it's also a, a bit of a blip. And I, what I like to think about China is where were we 10 years ago? And when you look at this gift that the automotive industry has been given, these 15 million you know, additional vehicles a year, it's probably going to grow to 25 additional from what we had in 2005 you know, in a short period of time. It's like, you know, you can say, oh, only 3% growth this year, but it's 3% growth on a market that's, you know, 24 million light vehicles. So I think, you know, there's other ways to grow. There's other ways to make that market work. I think the industry as a whole is only really starting to understand what to do with that. You know, we, we haven't had the market share battles settle yet. We haven't had the alliances settle yet. Uh, efficiencies. And, and then there's, you know, can we move that market up market as, as it gets more mature? So I hate to hear complaints about China because it just feels like, you know, kicking a gift yeah, horse a little bit. I, I, <laughs> I would agree with John. It, you know, it, if you look at this generation of consumer, they really haven't had a crisis. They've seen nothing but growth in China. Mm-hmm. So when, when some bumps along the road, th- they react to that. And what you saw, you, you know, over the past kind of six months, is, is a precipitous decline in consumption, which also drove sales down. But now that the economy seems a little better, the government seems like they're taking action. You know, we just saw a reduction for uh, small vehicles under, uh, I think, 1.6 uh, liters. They're, they, have, they, have, they have the tax reduction. Um, and we're, seeing, we're starting to see the consumer come back to the market. So I, I, I agree with you, John. I think the market is still very, very robust. It's very strong. The other interesting thing is the shift in the market. The market now is moving from sedans to SUVs. SUVs increased 45% in the market you know, over, the, over, the last, over the last couple of months. Of course, that's a global phenomenon, too. Very much so. You know, even in the U.S., you know, compact SUVs growing seven times faster than the rest of the market. But in China, I mean, there's 150 different C-segment SUVs you can choose from. <laughs> <laughs> so what, what do you think about China? A blip in the road or another shoe is about to drop? Blip, but downshifting in the growth speed. So, uh, you know, it's been growing at 
double-digit clips. We saw the government step in in 2008 and 2009, mm -hmm. really drive 30, 40% growth. Those days are behind us. Mm -hmm. So we're in single-digit, low single-digit growths, but on, as you said, 30% of the global market. So, yeah, it's huge. So yeah. a couple percent growth is still a very Magical, big, right. You know, before we leave China, I think, yeah, yeah. you know, to, to sum this up a little, at least from my perspective, is um, it is going to slow down, it is going to speed up because it is an economy, right? And, and I think that a lot of times people look at the Chinese economy a little like they look at tech stocks, like, oh, this must be a bubble and any day now I'm going to lose all my money. No, these are, you know, it's a real economy, there's real consumers there, it's, it was real growth. And, you know, just to bring in a little of today's news, you know, the population is likely to grow faster than we thought now. I don't know if you yeah. saw that, but, the, you know. Mm -hmm. Going to the two-child Well, they're lifting, yeah. They're, yeah. Lifting know, the one-child right, The one-child yeah. in, in allowing two. So, yeah. you know, I think there's bright days ahead there, and, and yeah. you know, for the industry as a whole. Is with it, bumps along the way, for it sure. It is a very different economy now, or market it will be going forward, because now, as Joe was saying, everyone's got their first car, but so now we're into a selling a replacement car. People have had an experience with a car, with a brand, with a dealer. It'll be interesting to see how that dynamic shifts and matures that market. Mm -hmm. I, think, I think the other, other side of the sales coin is production. So, you know, everyone is invested in, in China. Um, there's, there is a significant amount of excess capacity in terms of production. I think what's going to happen in China is as the market slows down, I think it's going to become an export market. It's going to be export to other emerging markets, other Asia-Pacific markets. Um, so we're going to start Including seeing that. Including U.S.? Uh, possibly. And Europe? Possibly. Wow. I think there's an, there'll be enough growth in other, in other uh, emerging markets um, for the time being. But, uh, you know, I certainly wouldn't rule that out. Yeah, I think if, I mean, I know we can talk about North America later, but I think, you know, there's some things happening here in terms of capacity and demand that might make an opening for China that we didn't, you know, as, as an uh, exporter to the U.S. and to North America that maybe we weren't anticipating, you know, three, four years ago. Very interesting. John, you raised the, the point of uh, China lifting the one-child policy. Yeah. In a few years, its population could start growing again. What about Japan? It's the opposite. <laughs> shrinking population, shrinking car sales as well. Will the Japanese auto market ever recover? I don't. I, I don't see a lot of growth there in terms of its percentage of of you know the market. I think it's going to be overshadowed by some. You know, it's already obviously been pushed aside as every market has by China in terms of size. I, I don't see that there's a ton of 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 growth in terms of again share of the market. They will have growth years. They will have changes in their demographics where they need to adjust. I, so I, I don't think it's a dead market at all. It'll it'll be in the top five for the foreseeable future. But in terms of you know year over year growth and, and just sort of getting back to being that, I, I, I think there's too many things restricting that. Japan's kind of an interesting, interesting market because I actually think they're a glimpse into the future of other markets. So it's a mega city highly urbanized, tax-savvy savvy individuals. And if you look at the trends in terms of, of, of car ownership, much, much lower than any other developed or non-developed country. So I actually believe that that is more of a glimpse into what we're going to see happen around the world. And if you look at replacements of vehicles, it's much lower in Japan than it is anywhere else. Wow. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense, but I think that the timing of that future is, is really what's, what's an open-ended question, sure. you know. Mm -hmm.
Yeah. Okay, let's turn to, to Europe for the moment. Mark, uh, okay. what, what's your observations on that? To, to me, it looks like it's finally getting back on its feet, but really hasn't addressed this issue of overcapacity. Yeah. The, the overcapacity issue is also a very north versus south issue. Yes. The overcapacity is really in the south. The north is actually doing pretty well on capacity, and some OEMs would actually like a bit more capacity <laughs> if they could get it easily. Uh, and so you really need to look at, at Europe that way in capacity, and then, assuming you don't include Russia, there is also a, an east versus west, particularly on cost dynamics as people try to, to shift production. Well, it's been said that Eastern Europe is kind of the equivalent of Mexico for the NAFTA region. Is that yeah. how you see it? Uh, that's fairly accurate. I mean, the labor rates are, are much lower, and yet the transportation uh, across to, to fill the Western market demand mm -hmm. is, is very easy, and it's very there, and it's very cheap. So it does make sense to do that. The, uh, the challenge with Europe is that there are, there are national champions, that it's been a very tough thing to get each one of them to um, play ball with the, uh, the reality of this overcapacity. Well, what you're talking about is when there's some government ownership in these companies, and not, of course, the not government? just that. Okay. I think so there's more than that. There's, there's a pressure even on the non-government-owned one, as you saw uh, last year. But what the challenge is is they do want their their national champions. So France, Italy, Germany will all support mm -hmm. uh, their automakers mm -hmm. and want capacity to come out of somewhere else. And so it, it, there is a, a bit of a troubling dynamic there, and it's not quite as straightforward to take capacity out of Europe as it is out of some other places. Mm -hmm. Joe, how do you see it? No, I agree. I mean, around the national champions, um, you know, if you look at France, for example, um, you know, the Korean manufacturers were doing extraordinarily well until the crisis hit. And now what we're seeing is there's been a shift of consumer sentiment towards those national champions. Um, so, so that definitely is going to continue to play out. Um, I think Europe, you know, we, we talk about it as a homogeneous market, but it really is. You have to look at each of the individual countries. Um, so, you know, the UK and Germany, you know, gr growth is very robust, it's very good, and will, and will continue. Um, you got places like France, Italy, and Spain, very difficult marketplaces. Economies are, are struggling, and I don't foresee that change. So even though you look at Spain, which had a lot of growth over the past year, uh, but that's from a base of dropping by over 35% uh, during, during, during the crisis. And then you have the Eastern Europe, which is a really interesting market because what you see a lot of is a lot of the uh, it's a lot of very high used car demand, especially used premium vehicles. Um, so you've got Germany, very strong market, very high percentage of them are, are premium. You've got a lot of used premium vehicles going into Eastern market, which allows to re regenerate sales in, in uh, Europe. So that dynamic actually seems to be working really, really well for, for Europe. Um, and then you have Russia, yeah. which, which is a complete di different story, but it's still a big market. So, John Susanna, what, what do you think about Russia? Well, I think Russia is the, the big question mark here. I mean, Europe is, is up this year, you know, I think it's 4%, while Russia is down 33%. So you really have, it's, you know, if you had a basketball team, your star, one of your star players <laughs> is not playing this year. So how do you judge the performance of the team as you look forward? You know, I wonder about the capacity in Europe and whether it can be absorbed at all by be, a truly global market. So you don't see a lot of those cars, for instance, coming here, but could they in the future if our demand grows but our capacity stays relatively stable here? You know, if South America grows, is that a better market for some of that capacity? If it is truly global, to your point earlier, that it's not about just building where you sell, I don't think we're there yet, but if that is the future, could that absorb some of that capacity? And could Russia 
what is Russia? How do you do business in Russia? Who's going to sell cars in Russia? It's such a big question, you know. I think it's a question, so I don't have the answer for you. Yeah. Sorry, but it, I think it's. But it worth could be a noting. big market. Yeah, I mean, be, you know, really once they get all their troubles and hopefully things smooth well, it's out. The biggest right? market in Europe, right? Just a few years ago, um, you know, it elevated to that quickly, and then it, you know, so having really look, bad times. Look often too, too basically though at just the GDP per capita of a country and say there is some sort of rule that says when you pass this much, then you're going to have take off. The car sales will take off. And that hasn't really proven true. I mean, you look at Russia, mm. it did take off somewhat, but very much because it's supported from the, the price of oil. You look at India and hasn't taken off. Everyone keeps thinking it'll take off, but the infrastructure just isn't there to the degree that China's infrastructure is really well developed. And so they're taking off and they took off even before the GDP per capita yeah. rule. So you really do need to look country by country and get beneath yeah. the rules of thumb. Yeah, yeah and, and you know, some of these markets, like Russia, even Brazil, markets that are very dependent upon commodities, very dependent upon oil, they are not going to recover until you know, the commodity prices change. And as long as the commodity prices, as long as oils are depressed, those, you know, we're not going to sell a lot of vehicles in those countries. Joe, let's talk about Brazil. Let's move to sure. South America for the moment, because I'm shocked at how much the market there has collapsed. I mean, just a few years ago, that country was rocking. Yeah. And now I, I'm, I'm stunned at how far it's dropped and dragging the car industry down with it. Yeah, Brazil is a really interesting market because uh, I would agree with you. We, we, we've been working with the World Economic Forum looking at manufacturing competitiveness. Uh, in 2013, Brazil was ranked eighth, but in five years it was expected to be number three in the world. That hasn't materialized. The reason it hasn't materialized is they have one big issue, and it's government policy, and there's uncertainty around that. And until that government policy is fixed, until that companies see trust you know, in, in the government to govern and to create a stable set of uh, in, uh, policies that, that aren't changing continuously so they actually can manage their businesses, I don't think that's going, you know, we're going to see that market change. I was just down there, participated in a, a major automotive conference, and that was the whole topic of the conversation. And there wasn't a person in the room that didn't agree with the issue around unless we fix the issues around policy, unless we fix the, the tra tax and other incentives in this uh, move towards very nationalistic uh, privatization, uh, you know, these, these issues will continue to drag down that economy. The trouble with, with it is, though, that our industry builds plants years before we sell the cars out of those plants. And so there is a bunch of capacity that was planned <laughs> during the boom times yes. that is now coming online or is sort of the money is sunk. And so now what do you do? Our work with OEMs down there is very much focused on how to get through this, this medium term, assuming there isn't going to be a big uh, change and miracle coming from the government. Boy, this sounds bad. I mean, what you guys are talking about isn't going to get turned around anytime soon. No, unfortunately not. But you could have another boom, right, under the same conditions as the earlier one. And I think, you know, the question then becomes for always, do you bite again? You know, do you bite? Because it's hard to turn your back on it when, when the boom is coming. Well, and, the competition is much different now. So you got all this capacity going into right. Mexico now. Right. Um, everyone is building you know, capacity. The free trade you know, policies that the Mexican government have yeah. much, much better for, for, for manufacturers and companies to make investments. So I'm not sure that the dynamics of the world are the same as what occurred. So I don't see light at the end of the tunnel. Okay, let's talk about another 
region then. Let's jump across the Atlantic to Africa. <laughs> and, you know, a huge continent, a billion people or whatever it is, all kinds. Of, you, you think Europe's different? Boy, Africa's very different, too. John, let's start with you. If you were an automaker, would you co-place a bet? Not just South Africa, not some of the northern countries. Right. But I, I, I guess at this point I w- I'd place my money on a whole bunch of other places before I went there. And, and I'm not sure that, you know, I'm the one to place bets. But one thing that's definitely true is you, you were talking about the used car market in, in, in Russia and Eastern Europe. And it's, I think they're getting the used cars from Eastern, yes. you know, Europe and Russia and putting them there, if, if not even older cars. And, um, and there's an economy built around that. There's usage built around that. I mean, there's certainly plenty of vehicles there, but, you know, very few of them were actually sold there to begin with. So, um, yeah, I, I think... But trucks might make uh, sense to, to go build in I think in you Africa? can sell mm-hmm. and build some trucks there, but, you know, how big a bet are you placing there? That, I don't know. Be- a lot of people, but again, so, so many of the problems that you're talking about economically that... Well, when I, when I talk to our practice leaders in, in uh, uh, South Africa and across Africa, uh, they're very bullish, very bullish on, on the market. I mean, they would say that this is the next big thing. Um, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen, you know, you know, next year, but over the next decade, uh, I think we're going to see pretty substantial growth. Now, I think what's going to happen is that it's going to happen slowly. So you've got a base uh, in South Africa, you know, right. relatively mature. You've got manufacturing capabilities. Uh, you know, the automotive companies will set up distribution networks you know, to start selling selectively in, in, in key, key markets around, around Africa um, and, and set up uh, uh, ways of bringing more vehicles. So right now, I mean, it's, it's, you know, there's, only, there's very select vehicles that are sold in, in Africa. I think we're going to start seeing that proliferation, uh, especially now that there's availability capacity you know, in places like uh, China and other places. So I think, uh, it, I think these automotive companies know how to enter markets. Uh, they're starting to do it in a very prudent way. Toyota is making huge investments in, in that market. Um, and they've you know, done extremely well. They did, they did the same thing with uh, Southeast Asia. And you know, they, own, they own that uh, you know, part of the world. Indonesia, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and people don't want to see another Indonesia where Toyota owns that part of the market. So there's other OEMs yes. that are also seeing that and playing there. So like when we're doing work with engineering and looking at these low-cost cars that they're building, definitely Africa is one of those growth areas and they're taking into consideration the needs of people in Africa, particularly some of the higher growing regions, and building those into the cars. So I think we're seeing the OEMs take it pretty seriously. I know they are because I know that BMW, I don't know, John, you might know this, we used to import three series BMWs Mm -hmm. from BMW's operations in South Africa. I'm not sure if that specific model is still coming over here now. But nobody in the U.S. market even knew that they might be driving a car that was built in South Africa. South Africa Africa one's a bit of a tax game, though. They had the MIDP thing where you had to get to sell in Africa. You needed to export some things from Mm. Africa. There's a lot of tax things going on with the South Africa. And I wouldn't want to extrapolate the future of of the African continent from South Africa. I mean, I don't think it's fair. But, um, yeah, yeah, it's interesting. I, I just... When I think about Africa and, and, and sort of placing bets there, I think, you know, what's the distinction there between sort of how we've been sort of anticipating growth in India for all these years and, and sort sure. of waiting for that to happen? India um, hasn't materialized. Right, and it hasn't materialized. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be a player there and that it's, you, you know, I mean, we've learned from China that if you get in early, that's the better place to be. But, you know, how many years, how many decades, and where are you putting your money right now? I don't know. No, that's a great point. Okay, uh, let's go to another sort of surprise region of the world. 
the Middle East. <laughs> Who wants to pick this up? I, I, when I looked at the numbers, I was very surprised. Not only to see how big the market was, but how many cars get exported from the United States it's to the Middle, Middle East. East. Mm -hmm. Go ahead. After you, Gus, sure. on. <laughs> yeah, so, um, yeah, no, Middle East is, a, is, a, is an interesting market. Um, you know, if you look at Iran, you look at Saudi Arabia, you look at these countries, you know, they, they are, there is this interest in, in the, of American vehicles, uh, you know, large American vehicles, SUVs uh, uh, or, or other big sedans. So, so that market, I think, is attractive because it's profitable. <laughs> it's very profitable, you know, shipping these vehicles with high margins into a market that, you know, has, a, has enough of, uh, of, of, of a demand for those things. So, so I think it's going to be an important market. Obviously, the geopolitical issues uh, that exist in the Middle East, you know, have a huge impact on how quickly and how, how big it's going to be. Uh, but, it, you know, it's a market, especially when you combine it with, with Africa, which a lot, of, a lot of the OEMs are doing, setting up business units to support the Middle East Africa region. Mm -hmm. and Iran's Iran and Saudi Arabia are the two interesting ones to me because Iran has their pseudo-indigenous manufacturer and a lot of people who aren't willing to play in that market and then and some that are. I mean, the famous you know, PSA GM issue that happened. Um, and so that's, that's an interesting country to look at and see how much growth but also Saudi Arabia with their desires to bring actual car manufacturing to Saudi Arabia is pretty interesting and they've got enough money to put behind some of those efforts. They do. In fact, Jaguar announced it was going to make cars there. I'll believe it when I see it hmm. because, as you know, it's one thing to bring an assembly plant to a country. Yeah. Now you've got to have a whole system of suppliers that support it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it may not be as easy as just putting <laughs> a, an assembly line uh, out there in Saudi Arabia, yeah. but it is interesting. Look, guys, we never even got to the NAFTA region. We've been all over the world here. Very interesting discussion. I mean, uh, uh, a market that's strong and growing. There might be some issues uh, out there in the horizon, but, you know, it looks like for the rest of the decade, th this market is going to, to just grow. So I want to thank each and every one of you. Joe Vitale, Global Automotive Practice Leader with Deloitte. John Susanis, Managing Director of Ward's Auto. Mark Wakefield, Managing Director with Alex Partners. I want to thank all of you for having joined me on AutoLine today, AutoLine this week. Well, thank thanks, you, John. Yeah, thanks, John. And of course, I want to thank all of you for having tuned in. And remember, come on back next week because we're always talking here about this great automotive industry, which is such an economic engine for the entire world.